expected changes in pregnancy. Today we'll look at uh, the changes occurring during pregnancy that can be helpful for both the fetus and that of the mother who is caring the fetus and also the caregivers who are the nurses and other individuals who give care to a pregnant client. Now, during this period, from the beginning of conception to the end of it or to the, to the, to the time of delivery, there are changes that occur through the female's life during this period. We'll look at the signs of pregnancy. We'll look at how to calculate depth for deliveries and we'll do a few examples examples and we'll understand how these things work for and what are our points of interest for the endless. These are our concerns for this topic. Now, presumptive signs of pregnancy. We have to know these signs. We have to memorize these signs and know what they are for the endless. Now, it is hard to say or uh, 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 memorize them, but we have to know them by heart to know the, the category the four in. These presumptive signs of pregnancy are changes that the female who is pregnant experiences that makes her think she's pregnant or she might be pregnant. These changes might be subjective symptoms or sometimes they might be objective signs. That simply means if they are subjective symptoms meaning it is only the female who's pregnant will have these symptoms in her body will feel these symptoms if it is objective the clinicians who, who are going to go and access the patient or assess the female will see these signs and know them and others come and see them they recognize these signs so when this happens it is definitely or uh, in that case we are definitely having uh, 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 objective signs now, these signs might be a result of all of the other factors other than pregnancy. Now, I'm simply going to say that uh, I would name for you these signs, but these signs are not just uh, co confined to pregnancy. There are other illness conditions that we might experience that might show these signs. It does not mean we are pregnant when we are having these signs. That's why they are called presumptive signs of pregnancy one you have amenorrhea you have fatigue you have nausea and vomiting you have urinary frequency you have breast changes and you have quickening these are all presumptive signs of pregnancy now these signs are not confined to pregnancy like i said when you have infection sometimes it might cause amenorrhea when you are stressed for something that is social economically related you might have amenorrhea so it is not just pregnancy that lead us to amenorrhea so that's why they are called presumptive sound sometimes we eat food we get tired sometimes we work so hard we get our body suffer fatigue so it is not only pregnancy that exposes us to fatigue Sometimes we sit, we eat food, we have other bacterial infection that causes us to have a, a GI motility, that causes us to have some other GI alteration. We feel nauseated, we want to like throw, I want to like vomit. 
So these things occur in other conditions that are just not confined to pregnancy. So then we have quickening. Quickening is talking about the very first movement of the fetus in the mother's uterus, which occurs between the 16th to the 20th week of gestation. When the female is pregnant, between the 16th week to the 20th week of pregnancy, that's when the female feels the first movement of the fetus. That movement is what we call quickening. Now, it might occur, but it might not be due to pregnancy. It might be due to other things that might not be right with us, and we might think that you are, you, we are pregnant. Now, our uterine enlargement, the uterus gets enlarged, our abdomen gets enlarged. Now, abdominal enlargement is not just confined to pregnancy. It could be myomat, it could be fibroid. These things are growth. They are, they are benign growth in our system. They are abnormal cells that grow in our system. These cells can create abdominal enlargement or uterine enlargement that we might think that we are pregnant, but on the reality, we are not. So these are symptoms that are not confined only to pregnancy. They might be confined to other conditions or in pregnancy. So they are all called the presumptive symptoms or, or signs of pregnancy. Then we have the second signs, which are referred to as the probable signs of pregnancy. Probable signs of pregnancy. Now, this probable signs of pregnancy are signs that make the examiner suspect that the female is pregnant. Now, all the presumptive signs, these signs make the female to feel like she's pregnant. The probable signs make the examiner to feel that the female is pregnant. I hope you are getting what I'm saying. On a presumptive, it is usually linked to the female having the feeling of pregnancy. All the probable signs is linked usually to the clinician or the examiner seeing some signs that will make the examiner to feel that the female is pregnant. That's the between the presumptive and the probable sign. Yes, in some cases, in some symptoms, under the presumptive signs, it might show that the, 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 the clinician will know that she's pregnant. It might show that. I agree with that. Now, but under here, you have the following signs under here. These signs include abdominal enlargement. This can be the size, the shape, or the position of the abdomen that gets enlarged that will make the clinician to feel that the female is pregnant. That for honor probable signs. Then we have the Hagar's sign. Now the Hagar's sign is the softening and the compressibility of the cervix. I'm sorry, of the uterus. So the Hagar's sign, the Hagar's sign is to the uterus. Now the uterus becomes so compressed the uterus becomes uh, soft. That is a sign of, of probable sign of pregnancy, which is called the Hagar sign. Then we have the Chadwick sign. The Chadwick sign, this Chadwick sign, it is, um, it is just the bluish discoloration of the cervix. It's going to become blue, like a violent blue. In that case, 
is a sign of pregnancy. When you get pregnant, the hormone, the hormonal interaction will create that bluish coloration of the of the cervix. That is a wild sign of pregnancy that fall on the pregnant sign. So the Hagar sign, the uh, the Chawet sign, then we have the Gudiel sign. The Gudiel sign, this Gudiel sign, also fall on the pregnant sign of pregnancy. The Gudiel sign, it is the softening of the cervical tip. The cervical tip becomes soft. That is a sign of pregnancy that falls under the probable sign. Then we have what we call bilotment. Bilotment is also a sign that falls under probable sign. Bilotment is that rebound, that rebound tenderness, that rebound that occurs when doing pelvic examination when the examiner insert his finger into the vagina and passes through the cervix the part of the fetus that is the presenting part that will touch the tip of the examiner finger that rebounding feeling that's going to occur is what we call bilotment so this is a sound that occurs it is also it also fall under the probable signs of pregnancy. Then we have what we call the Braxton Hicks contraction. The Braxton Hicks contraction. This Braxton Hicks contraction, it is referred to as forced labor. Now, there is a difference between true labor and forced labor. The Braxton Hicks contraction is one of the differences between true and false labor. How does this occur? In the, in the Braxton Hicks contraction, when there is a labor occurring, when there's a labor pain occurring, a uh, movement walking around by the female can subside the pain. So if she's in pain and she's, she's having contraction, when she walks around, the contraction subsides. In the true labor, the more she walks around, the, 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 the more intense the contraction becomes. So that's how we take note on true and false labor. So when you have Braxton Hicks contraction, it is a false labor sound that comes in. In that case, the female will feel things uh, in the abdomen, other part of the abdomen, not in her back. Now she will feel the pins there. But when she walks around, the pins go, the pins go away. So in that case, it is what we call the Braxton Hicks contraction. Now, this Braxton Hicks contraction, it is one of the signs of pregnancy that falls under the probable signs of pregnancy, the Braxton Hicks contraction. Now, then we have a positive pregnancy test. We have a positive pregnancy test. A test that is done that will detect that there's a hormone within the female body that is producing pregnancy or that there's a child in there. Basically, we look at a hormone called the HCG that I ask you to go and look at. The HCG, the human chorionic gonadotropins. This hormone, it is available in the urine after seven to eight days after conception. So the female got pregnant after seven to eight days, 
boom, you have the HCG in the urine. That's why when you run to the CVS, to the right A, to the Walgreens, and get yourself the pregnancy test, the testing dipstick, and put it into the urine, that dipstick contains HCG detector. The moment you feel that the two lines appear on that dipstick, means there is an HCG found in the urine, meaning you are pregnant. So that's how we detect pregnancy by doing that test. So that test kit contains what we call the HCG, which is a hormone that is produced by our body when our body uh, goes into pregnancy. Now, there's a long thing in there. I'm not, not going to dive into there because you will understand that uh, the HCG will not come in when there is another menstrual cycle beginning. Because once there is no menstruation for the next cycle, that will stimulate the production of the HCG. That's it takes one week. That's the reason why after one week when you get pregnant, the HCG appears in the urine because the one week it waited for there was no menses. Due due to that, that was how it came to to overshadow the other hormones in the body. That's how it happened. But it's a long part of it that, that I'm not going to go into right now. Now. The last sign under this problem, these probable signs is the fetal outline. The fetal outline is like an examiner feels or felt the fetus within the uterus. Now, these are what we call the probable signs of pregnancy. Now, these signs are objective, but all of them are not 100% confirmatory to pregnancy. Take for example, you have the bilotment. So when you have a fibroid and you did a PV or a pelvic examination on a fibroid, your finger will feel that hard ball in the uterus just like you would touch or feel a fetus in the uterus. So feeling something in the uterus, which is bilotment, does not necessarily mean the individual is pregnant. So these are signs that gave us information or clue, clues on pregnancy. Then we have the main signs that gave us confirmatory idea about the pregnancy. Those signs are called the positive signs of pregnancy. So you have the third group of signs. We call them the signs of pregnancy now these signs are very much exact they cannot exist when there is no fetus in the uterus they exist when there is a fetus in the uterus so they are exact signs that we want you to know and i want you to know them to your fingertip these signs can come in select order apply now the best best to understand select order apply questions is to understand your content of your anklets. If you understand the content of these topics, you will understand how to answer select order apply. That's the first trick in knowing select order apply. Besides that, any other trick that comes about will just be guessing and uh, trial and error method. Now, under here, we have three tests or uh, three signs, three signs that will give us exact positive signs of pregnancy. One, you have fetal heart sound, fetal heart tone, or fetal heart sound. When 
A female has a fibro in the uterus. A fibro will not give an examiner a heart tone. So fetal heart tone is only given or heard by a fetus in the uh, when a fetus is in the in the uterus. When the uterus does not have a fetus, there might be heaviness, there might be movement, but there will not be any heart tone. Once there is a fetus in the uterus, there will be heart tone. That is why we call the fetal heart tone or the fetal heart sound is a number one positive signs for pregnancy. Another one is ultrasonography. Now, ultrasound or ultrasonography. We have to visualize the fetus in the uterus. Now, this does not tell a lie. When we do an ultrasonography, it gives us a pectoral view of the uterus and the fetus lie in there. This wouldn't lie to us. It's, it's exact and nothing about it is false. So when you do this and get that the fetus is in there, it is, as an, it is an exact sign of pregnancy, which is called, is, which is one of the positive signs of pregnancy. Then we have fetal movement. The third sign, fetal movement. Now the fetal movement is the third sign the fetal movement that is perpetrated by an experienced examiner is the third sign of pregnancy which falls under the positive sign. So when there is this fetal movement that is, that is perpetrated by, by, by an experienced examiner, that, is, that will fall under positive signs of pregnancy. So we have three distinct signs of pregnancy. The presumptive that is felt by the female the probable signs that are felt by the examiner and the positive signs that are confirmed by only fetus in the uterus are the three distinct signs of pregnancy. Now, under here, we have other tests that we do that will also confirm. We do urine and, uh, and serum tests. We do serum and urine tests to provide an accurate assessment for the presence of the HCG, we shall confirm that there is a pregnancy occurring. So we do the serum test, the urine test, it will show that there is the presence of the human chorionic gonadotropins or hormones in the body, which is a pregnancy. Now, in this case, in this case, um, there is it occurs, like I said, between seven to eight days after pregnancy, after conception. Now, this production of the HCG begins with implantation. As soon the egg cells and the sperm cells meet, fertilization occurs, then at the point of implantation, the death, the egg cells and the sperm cells will come together and get implanted into the uterus. On the same time it is getting implanted, that implantation will stimulate the production of the HCG hormones in the body. That will take exactly seven to eight days. That's the reason why we said within seven to eight days, the client will have the press will have present in their blood this HCG. That's one. Secondly, after this hormone is produced in the body, it picks at about 60 to 70 days of pregnancy after it peaks 
it declines it declines until around 130 days of pregnancy it will keep at a decline level after that after the 130 days it will gradually increase it started to get increased gradually until delivery now there are two things that occur under here with the hcg when you do the test let's remember this very well there can be abnormal hcg level when it is high it is abnormal when it is lower it is abnormal now when it is high whenever the test is done if there's high level of the hcg this can indicate multiple pregnancy twin triplets or quadruplets pregnancy if it is high meaning there is a while multiple pregnancy occurring if it is low if it is uh okay if it is high one it could be uh, multiple pregnancy that's one two it could be tubal pregnancy if it is high it could be tubal pregnancy or active pregnancy if it is high it could be what we call hydratiform mold hydratiform hydratiform mold now look at that word and know what is it if it is high it could be what we call hydratiform mold now we'll discuss this hydratiform mold on our medical conditions in pregnancy it is a gestational trophoblastic condition like a growth like a fiber so whenever the HCD is very high in the bloodstream, it could be due to a fiber, which is called hydratiform mold. Now, or if it is if it is low, if it is low, it might be miscarriage, or the client is also having ectopic pregnancy. If it is low, if it is also high, the client might be having Down syndrome. Those are things I want you to understand about the HCG as a hormone produced in the feed, uh, in the female body when she's pregnant. Now, there are other medications that might also trigger, that might also stimulate the production of the HCG in the female's body or in pregnancy. One, when the individual is on anti-convulsant medication, diuretics or triangulizers, these medications can stimulate, they can trigger the increased production of the HCG. Now, with this, there might be a false positive pregnancy or a false negative due to these factors that I just talked about. So, we do other home sample tests, like home urine tests, to test whether we are pregnant. We should always get the early morning voided urine. The first voided morning urine specimen is what is most accurate for pregnancy testing from the urine. Those are things I want you to understand under here as we look at these things. Now, before I come to question and answer period, let's do something very quick here under the Nadja's rule. Now, the largest rule under here, I will talk about it shortly and we'll look at few 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 questions and then we'll call it a day. Now the largest rule is used to calculate delivery and determine the date of pregnancy. 
this not the natural rule takes into consideration the first day of the woman last menstrual period or last menstrual cycle which we call the lmp the last menstrual period so we take we ask the female when did you see your period last day that is for lmp the last menstrual period or the lmc the last menstrual cycle she gave us the date she largely saw her menses that is is that, that that is called the last menstrual period now when we have this date we will do three things with this date one we'll subtract three months from the date we'll add seven days to the date and we'll add one year i repeat we subtract three months from her lmp we add seven days and we add one year that will give us her edd her expected date for delivery that's how we calculate it give me a little chance we'll come to few examples on the board now before going there to end here i will look at few uh terminology we use in maternity to describe to describe pregnancy and other things now these methods include uh this particular word is include one we talk about gravidity gravidity is the number of pregnancy that occur in a female's life cycle it is not taking it does not uh give credence whether it is it is abortion once the female got pregnant it is called gravidity it could be abortion it could be miscarriage it could be preterm it could be full term it could be post term it is referred to as gravidity so if she got pregnant five times in her life one of the five was aborted one was a miscarriage one was a full term one was a post term one was a preterm all are regarded as gravidity under the counting of the amount of gravity she had in her life that's one two a nolly gravidar nolly gravidar is a female who has never gotten pregnant in her life a nolly gravidar never got pregnant in her life a primary gravidar is a female who is experiencing her very first pregnancy in her life is referred to as a primary gravidar a multi-gravidar is a female who has had more than one pregnancy meaning she's had she has gotten pregnant more than once or so she's referred to as a multi-gravida then we look at parity parity is the number of pregnancy in the in the fetus the number of pregnancy in which the fetus or the fetus reach 20 weeks now parity talks about number of pregnancy at 20 weeks of gestation so if a female is pregnant and she did not reach 20 weeks it is not counted as parity i repeat if a female gets pregnant and did not reach 20 weeks of gestation meaning she didn't she, she, she cannot be we cannot count that under parity now parity does not count the number of children it counts the number of pregnancy that reach and pass 20 weeks of gestation now parity is not effective while the fetus was born alive 
or it was a stillbirth, once it crosses 20 weeks, it is regarded as parity. So it is not considered whether it did, whether it reached uh, whether it reached to the witch or not. It is not. So in that case, it is regarded as parity. Now, under here, we talk about also um, the soft term, the soft technology under parity. A nullipara is a female who has no pregnancy in their life beyond viability. She has not had any pregnancy in her life beyond viability, meaning her pregnancy did not reach viable state. So she is referred to as a nullipara. Now, a primipara is a female who has completed one pregnancy to the stage of viability. A mortal para is a female who has completed two or more pregnancies and has reached the point of viability. These terms, you want to understand these terms, know them to your fingertip and know what they are. When we talk about viability, we are talking about the point in which when an infant has the capacity to live outside the uterus. So if if an infant that is above 22 weeks to 25 weeks of pregnancy is regarded as a viable infant. So any infant that crosses 22 weeks of fetus life can live outside the uterus and survive on other means, the incubator or other mechanical means. Any infant that will cross the age of 22 weeks is regarded as a viable infant. So that's what that's what we mean when we talk about viability. Um, so look at term pregnancy is any pregnancy that, that goes above 38 weeks of pregnancy. Now, a preterm baby or a preterm fetus, any fetus that falls below 20 weeks of gestation is regarded as miscarriage. Any fetus below 20 weeks that is born below 20 weeks is regarded as an abortion or miscarriage. Any fetus that is born above 20 weeks of gestation up to 37 weeks of gestation is regarded as a preterm fetus. Any fetus born above 38 weeks is regarded as full-term fetus. So we have these things, look at them. Uh, and then we can stop here and entertain question. So they include abdominal enlargement, Hagar's sign, Chadwick's sign, Goodell's sign, by Lutman, Braxton Hayes contraction, positive pregnancy test, and a fetal outline done by the examiner. So these probable signs are signs that are felt by the examiner. Are the sound that the examiner will suspect that the woman is pregnant, but some of them can some of the, these sounds can be also observed by the pregnant woman herself. Now, then we look at the positive signs. The positive signs of pregnancy, these are sounds that can be explained only by pregnancy. Without pregnancy, these signs cannot be explained. So 
depositor's sons are the main son that we want to know. You want to also memorize these depositor's sons to know them because these sons are only explained, meaning these sons are only present when a woman is pregnant. So these are real signs. These signs cannot contradict itself like the other ones we talk about. So these signs are real. They are there only when a woman is pregnant. So without pregnancy, these signs cannot be verified. These signs cannot be present in a woman's life. One is a fetal heart sound. When there is no pregnancy, there's a fibro. Fibro will give you uterine enlargement, but it wouldn't give you a fetal heart sound. So fetal heart sound is a positive sound of pregnancy. It is only done when the woman is pregnant. Other than that, it is not done. Two, we have visualization of the fetus by ultrasound. When we do an ultrasonography, when we visualize the child in the uterus, that is a positive sign of pregnancy because without child being in the uterus, the, the, the monitor from the ultrasonography cannot display a fetus in the uterus. If it is a mass, if it is a tumor, if it is a fibro, would know it is a fibro. If it is a child or a fetus, would know that it is a child or is a fetus. So this visualization of the fetus by the ultrasonography is a positive sign of pregnancy. Then we have the last one is the fetal movement. Now, there's not just fetal, because fetal movement could be quickening. Now, quickening is not what we are talking about here. Fetal movement is the one that is perpetrated by an experienced examiner, by a gynecologist. If the if if it is a fetus, the gynecologist will know that there's a fetus by the movement of the fetus within the uterus. So those three signs are what we call the positive signs of pregnancy. One, fetal heart sounds. Two, visualization of the fetus by the ultrasonography. Three, the fetal movement. These are the three positive signs of pregnancy. Now, beyond, beyond this or after these signs, we have verifying signs of pregnancy how do we verify the pregnancy one we do serum and urine tests now serum and urine tests provide an accurate assessment for the presence of the hcg in the urine now the hcg present in the urine can start early as after implantation and can be detected by seven to eight days or at least seven days after conception we can feel the presence of this particular HCG in the urine, the hemochorionic gonadotropin. Now, the HCG is produced beginning implantation. It peaks after six to seven days after gestation and it declines gradually until around 100 to 130 days after pregnancy and uh, during pregnancy and then gradually increases again until term. So it goes up at the beginning after conception. After seven days, it, it rises. After some certain period of time, it drops in the amount in the blood after up to 130 days it started to go it, it goes back up until full-term pregnancy now then we have um lower blood level of the hd might suggest a miscarriage or atomic pregnancy so if the hd level is low meaning that could signify that the individual is who is pregnant it could be a tumor pregnancy or there is other problems like a like 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 a miscarriage or if the hcg is very high in the blood serum or in the blood it can indicate that the client is having multiple fetus fetuses or, or the client has more fetuses in the uterus or the client is having multiple gestation this can occur in that now 
um, there are some medications that can give false positive or false negative pregnancy results. If you're on anticonvulsant, if you're on diuretics, if you're on tranquilizers, this medication can give false positive or false negative pregnancy results. Home pregnancy test. The ones we do at home, when we have to test our urine at home, urine samples should be first voted morning specimen and followed by the duration of for its accuracy. Now, so these are things we do to know whether the woman is pregnant or not. So these are the kinds of signs that occur in pregnancy, but these signs got to be verified by this serum and urine test I just talked about just a while ago. Now, we look at how to calculate delivery dates and determine number of pregnancies for pregnant clients. We look at the NAJAS rule. The NAJAS rule takes into consideration a few things that are very important. One, we look at the last, the first day of our women's, of the woman's last menstrual cycle. We take that date, we subtract three months, we add seven days, and add one year. So this will give us the exact expected date of delivery, which we call the EDD, or how to determine the date of delivery for the female who is pregnant. So there are three things we're going to do. The first thing we're going to do is we're going to take the woman LMP, the woman last menstrual period. We subtract three months from there. That's one. We add seven days and add one year. So we'll do one subtraction. We'll do two additions. Subtraction will be three months subtraction. We will add uh, seven days and then we will add one year. That will give us the total um, date of delivery. That is, or the date that we expect the woman to get to give birth on. So that is how we calculate the Nadja's rule. So let's do a few of these examples on the board to know how it works. Now, um, we measure the fundal height in centimeters. From the symphysis pubics to the top of the uterine fundus between 18 to, to 30 weeks of gestation approximates the gestational age. Now, we have gravity. Gravity talks about now. We look at this word, they are very important to look at. Now, I want you to take a look in the Sanders book to see them, they are in there. You will have a better understanding on them. But if you listen to what I'm saying here, you compare to them, you will have no doubt on this particular jargon used on a maternity gravity gravida now this simplest talk about number of pregnancy it talks about the number of pregnancy that a woman is carrying we have nolly gravida nolly gravida is a woman who has never gotten pregnant a woman who has never gotten pregnant is a nolly gravida primary gravida is a woman in her first pregnancy Primary gravida is a woman in her first pregnancy. Multigravida is a woman who has had two or more pregnancy. Woman who has had two or more pregnancy is a multigravida. That is multigravity. Now, parity. Parity. Parity is the number of pregnancy in which the fetus or the fetuses reach to the weeks of pregnancy, not the number of fetuses. I repeat, parity is the number of pregnancies in which the fetus or the fetuses reach 20 weeks of pregnancy, not the number of fetuses. So you might have four to five fetuses, 
but you still do not reach four to five parity. Once they did not reach 20 weeks of gestation, they are all not counted as parity. Parity is not effective whether it is not effective whether the fetus is born still or alive. So you could have a still birth fetus or a, or a life life birth fetus. It is still regarded as parity. Once it passes 20 weeks upward, it is regarded as it is counted as parity. Now we have nullipara. Nullipara is no pregnancy beyond the stage of viability. So if the woman did not get pregnant beyond viability, it is referred to as nullipara. Priming para is has completed one pregnancy to stage of viability. So if she has completed only one pregnancy to the stage of viability, that simply means she is a priming para. If she did not complete any, if she got pregnant, but it, 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 it did not reach viability, it is referred to as nullipara. If she got pregnant, it reaches viability in the and a child and the fetus died or the fetus was born still it is still considered as 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 as, as a primary para now multi para has completed two or more pregnancy to the stage of viability so if she completed one pregnancy to the stage of viability and did not complete one but she got pregnant and did not reach viability she is not a multi para she is still referred to as a primary because she has had two gravity one reached uh, viability, one did not reach viability. So in that case, the two pregnancy would be considered gravity at two, but they would be considered as para one because the parity only one reached viability. So that becomes uh, para one, but it is not para two. Now, the multi para has had more than two or more pregnancy that has reached viability. That is about parity. Then we look at viability. What is viability? In itself, viability is the point in time when the infant has the capacity to survive outside the uterus. So when the infant can when the infant can survive outside the uterus, that is what we call viability. Normally it's, it's considered between 22 to 25 weeks. So infant born above 22 weeks upward is regarded as a viable infant or a viable fetus. So infant or fetuses born after 22 weeks can live outside the uterus in incubator or other or in other machine that can assist them to garden to nurture them until they get to maturity. So in this case, fetus born after that time are regarded as viable fetuses. Now, so when we go back to um to parity, we said when a fetus does not reach that particular time. Now on a parity, they might say 20 weeks. But for viability is 22 weeks to 25 weeks. So from 22 weeks upward, it is regarded as viability. Now, then we have the GTPA angling. GTPAL angling. Now, this angling talks about gravity, the number of time pregnant, the, 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 the number of the, the number of pregnancy that are gonna occur is gravity. Whether it's one day, two day pregnancy, once the female got pregnant, it is regarded as gravity. Then we have the term pregnancy. Now, term pregnancy is any pregnancy that is above 38 weeks of gestation. Now, once the pregnancy went above 38 weeks or from 38 weeks upward, it is regarded as term birth or term pregnancy. Preterm is any pregnancy uh, from viability up to 37 weeks. So, a preterm could be from 20 weeks 
to 37 weeks, that's preterm. Once it, once it did not cross 37 weeks, it is referred to as a preterm pregnancy. If you give a birth between that period of time, that's a preterm birth. So any birth below 37 weeks to 20 weeks is preterm. Any birth from 38 weeks and above is regarded as full term or term pregnancy. Now, abortion or miscarriages. Any pregnancy that did not reach 20 weeks, because 20 weeks upward is regarded as viability, is regarded as parity. Now, any pregnancy that did not reach 20 weeks is a miscarriage or an abortion. If it did not reach 20 weeks or 22 weeks of pregnancy, it is regarded as miscarriages or an abortion. Once it reaches 20 weeks and above, it is regarded as preterm. Up to 37 weeks, it's regarded as preterm. Once it crosses 37 weeks, it hits 38 weeks, it is regarded as full term. Living, the L is for living children. The amount of children you have living. So that is the acronym for graviated term birth, preterm birth, abortion or miscarriages in living children. It's called GTPAL. You can look at them in the Sunders. Look at them one at a time, and it's going to make more sense to you. Answer the question at the back of the Sunders. They are in there. So that could that, that, that is our number one reading assignment for the day. Go to the Sunders and look under GTP, and you see the gravity, the term, the abortion, the, um, the, 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 the living children. You see them do some questions on them to be abreast with it from a very good point of view. Any questions so far? Now, if there's if there's no question, we we keep moving on. Now, under here, um, we'll take a look at uh, other things that occur here. We'll take a look at uh, prenatal, prenatal. We'll look at prenatal. Those things that occur in prenatal and the lab results in prenatal. What are those things we do when we go for our prenatal visit? Now, this prenatal care involves nursing assessments and the client education for expected mothers. When we are providing this antenatal or prenatal care for our patients, we as nurses must take into consideration other cultural account or cultural differences that occurring within our setting in the u.s now prenatal education uh information provide is the information provided to the client who is pregnant there are major areas we want to focus when we are providing this education to our client discomfort in pregnancy is what we want to focus our attention promoting a safe outcome of pregnancy how do we promote how do we work with a pregnant client until she gave birth safely our our concerns when we are giving prenatal uh, uh, health education, fostering positive feelings by the pregnant one because when you are pregnant, you go through what we call ambivalence. You go through this dilemma situation. You go in, you have this mood swings that occur in pregnancy. So we look at that. We talk to the client on the, we discuss it. We discuss it and see how best we can get to a major common ground that the client can feel safe in pregnancy. We also look at um, um, from the, from the, her family regarding the childbearing experience. These are things we focus on when we are talking about prenatal care in our setting. Now, um, the client must do other things as the client goes as we go along within this prenatal period or prenatal care. We look at the the client's reproductive and obst uh, obstetrical obstetrical history 
that is conceptual uh, how whether they use contraception or they did not use uh, any other birth control we look at that we look at some other diagnostic study on gynecology we look at other difficulties that the client might experience while giving birth we look at the client size the client height the client a lot of things is taken into consideration when we are giving this health education we look at the client medical history including the client physical pre-existing medical conditions look at surgical procedure the client had in the previous pregnancy or in their in their life previously or the client is an handicap the client is an handicap we look at other women immune status rubella and hepatitis b status we look at that we look at the client nutritional history which include we do a complete dietary assessment to alert the practitioner to, to define to deficient practices and food allergies we look at good nutrition balanced diet that will create growth and development for and development for the for the fetus how well growth and development will occur while helping the mother and the fetus to achieve this wellness continuum we look at the client's current medication the client which including the client what the client on substance abuse or the client on alcohol consumption which can lead to fetal alcohol syndrome the nurse should display a non-judgmental matter of fights demeanor matter of fight demeanor when interviewing a client regarding substance abuse you cannot be doing your feeling like, do you smoke do you no you have to be professional in doing these things this is a client that you are dealing with she's at risk and the child she's carrying is also at risk so your body language as a nurse during the interview cannot be portraying what you are not saying to the client so you don't want to say a different thing and your body language portrays different thing you want to talk like you are a nurse and you are professionally handling the case look at the client family history which include genetics disorders conditions that could affect the model or the fetus any recent current illnesses or infection look at the client psychosocial history look at the client history of abuse or risk these are things we look at for the client then we plan the client birth the, the client delivery we set up goals pain control whether the client wants natural birth or the client wants epidural now second assignment is you want to read on epidural epidural read on the epidural know when can it be given know where it is given know how it is given know the nursing management in epidural administration now when you do this when you come back tomorrow for our next class ask me on them and i will go over it to add up on what you've researched but i will need you to research it first when you come back then i can do more for you on it now during the prenatal assessment it begins with the initial visit within the first 12 weeks of pregnancy which is the first three months of pregnancy which is the first trimester we do our first prenatal visit this will continue throughout the pregnancy now in an uneventful pregnancy the prenatal visits are scheduled monthly by week 16 through week 28 every two weeks from 29 week to 36 week and every week from 36 week up to birth i repeat the first visit occurs within the first 12 weeks of pregnancy uh prenatal visits are scheduled monthly for week 16. so week 16 to week 28 is every month once now the first three months is one time after the first three months the second month the second trimester is every month one 
16 from week 16 to week 28 from week 16 to week 28 visit our schedule monthly for week 16 to 20. so in that time second trimester will go every month once now after week after second trimester when we hit the third trimester we visit the, the hospital every two weeks from week 29 to week 36 now after after that period of time then we go every week from week 36 until birth now the initial period of visit we determine the date of delivery like we did using the Niger's rule we obtain medical history and nursing history to include in the client database we perform physical assessment we have our baseline with vital signs and pelvic examination for the client we obtain initial laboratory tests which include the hemoglobin hematocrit wbc blood type and rh compatibility the rubella titer urinalysis renal function test the path test cervical culture hrv antibodies hepatitis b surface antigen toxoplasmosis and we do the VDRL testing for other syphilis and other conditions of the female system. So during the first visit, I want us to remember this test that we do now. I want you to go back and look at these tests one at a time. In the first visit, these are tests we do. We do one, the hemoglobin. This will tell us the client blood level, the client has anemia or not. Both the hemoglobin and the hematocrit. Read about two, two of them. Know the normal hemoglobin for fe for pregnant female and the normal hemoglobin for the normal hematocrit for pregnant female. Know the WBC, the web blood cells count for infection and other things for the female who is pregnant. Know the client blood type. All the clients RH negative or RH positive. You, you got you got to know that. Look at the client rubella title. Look at the normal rubella title for a client who's pregnant. Look at the client. HIV antibody test. Look at the client cervical culture. Look at the client hepatitis B surface antigen testing. Look out for what is toxoplasmosis and look at what is VDRL. So these are the tests done on our initial visit. Now, ongoing visit. After the first initial visit, ongoing visit, we just monitor the client weight, the client blood pressure, the urine for glucose. The client protein, the client leukocyte, which is the white blood cells, while the client is having edema, then we begin to monitor the fetus, the, the fetal development. Fetal heart rate can be detected at early at by a problem by ultrasound. The heartbeat can be heard by Doppler or uh, uh, by Doppler late in the first trimester. So the heartbeat can be heard in the first 16, almost like in the 16th 16 week. Sorry. In the 12th week, at, at the end of the 12th week, we can hear the first heartbeat. Now, listening at the midline, right above the symphysis the pubis, by holding the Doppler firmly on the abdomen, and we're listening to the fetal heart tone at the end of the first trimester. We measured, we measured the fundal height starting in the second trimester. That's when we begin to measure the client's fundal height. From week 18, to terrier, the fundal height in centimeter is approximately the same as the number of weeks of gestation. After week 18 to week 30, the fundal height is the same as the amount of weeks of pregnancy in centimeter. 
So if we count 10 centimeters, it will be equal to the same 10 weeks. If we count 18 centimeters, it will be 18 weeks. When we count 24 centimeters, it will be 24 weeks of pregnancy. When we count 30 centimeters, it will be 30 weeks of pregnancy. That's what I'm trying to say in, in short. Now, then we start a fetal health assessment. We begin assessing for the fetal movement between 16 to 20 weeks. That's the when we have the first quickening, the first fetal movement. It occurs between the 16th week to week 20 of gestation. Now, then we provide education for self-care to include management of common discomforts and concerns of pregnancy, which include nausea and vomiting, fatigue, bike aid, varicoses, uh, heartburns, activities, and sexualities. <clears throat> These are things we look out for the client. Now, for the nursing care, we perform or assist with Leopold's maneuver to perpetuate the presentation and the position of the fetus. We assist the healthcare provider with some gynecological examination during the process. These examinations are performed to determine the status of the client's organs and breath canal. The pelvic measurement determines whether the pelvis will allow for the passage of the fetus or not during delivery. Whether the client pelvic is, is, is a female pelvic to be able to accommodate the passage of the fetus, which is the passenger during the pregnancy. We'll look at those P's when we come to delivery. Now, the nurse has the client emptied her bladder. Um, now, the client will empty her bladder and take deep breath during the examination to de decrease discomfort. We administer the Rogam D, which is the Rogam immunoglobulin IM around 28 weeks of gestation for the clients who are RH negative. Now, I'm not going to dive into this until we get to complications in pregnancy. I will leave this for that period. We'll look at what is, what, uh, what, why do we serve Rogam in 28 weeks? What is uh, blood incompatibility during pregnancy? What is sensitization? We'll look at all those things in our next term. Let's leave it like that until we get there. Now, then we have um, routine laboratory tests that we do for the client. So we do the client blood type, the RH factor, the regular and irregular antibodies. Um, we determine the maternal risk, the fetal incompatibility of the blood. In this case, we look at them. We identify the viral test in there. Now, for the blood type, the RH factor play major role in looking at blood incompatibility. Under here, when the mother, the mother will always receive this particular immunoglobulin whenever the mother has RH negative blood because the child who is the fetus might have RA positive blood. So once the mother has RA negative blood, when the during delivery, when the blood, when there is a mixing of the blood, that can cause what we call sensitization in subsequent pregnancy. So once the mother is RH negative, definitely she needs to take this Rogam D immunoglobulin to prevent problem in subsequent pregnancy. Now, so in this case. This blood incompatibility between the maternal and the fetal blood is referred to as the erythroblastosis fetalis. Erythroblastosis fetalis. Or it is also referred to as neonatal hyperbilirubinemia. Why? In the case of blood incompatibility, the neonate will have blood from the mom coming into 
his circulatory system, mother blood is RH negative and his blood is RH positive, it's going to mix. Now, the mixture of the RH negative and the RH positive blood into the fetal circulatory system will destroy the fetal RBC, red blood cells, which will increase the bilirubin in the fetus blood circulation, which we refer to as the hyperbilirubinemia. That's when you see the, the fetal, the the fetus after delivery, the infant or the neonate are going to have this yellowish discoloration of the entire skin. So this is referred to as fetal hyperbilirubinemia. But in a sense, it's also referred to as erectoblastosis fetalis. That's why the mother would take the rogam immunoglobulin D at 28 weeks of pregnancy or within the first 72 hours after birth. If the mother, if the mother did not take the medication at the eight weeks of pregnancy, she must take it within the first 72 hours after birth to prevent the fatality of or the fatality of the next fetus. Now, under here, um, we do what we call indirect combs test to identify the client sensitized to RA positive blood. So after this period, a test is done to know that the client had the RA positive blood circulating in their system. Now, this test is called the indirect Combs test. It's C-O-O-M-B apostrophe S, the indirect Combs test. This indirect Combs test tells whether the, the client has uh, RA positive blood circulating in their system, which is called sensitization. If the client has been sensitized, it means the client has had RA positive blood in the system circulating that's what that is what we call sensitization now so it is the indirect comb test that identifies what the client is having what we call sensitization now for as for clients who are rh negative and not sensitized the indirect comb test is repeated between 24 to 28 weeks of gestation now if the indirect comb test is done at an, at an early age and the client is negative the client does not have the client is rh negative and the client does not have any blood in the system that is circulating like like a rh positive blood the test is still repeated at 24 weeks between 24 and 28 weeks of pregnancy now then we look at other cbc differentials complete blood count look at the hgb the hemoglobin and the hematocrit look at infection and look at um, the anemia we do hem uh, hemoglobin electrophoresis this hemoglobin electrophoresis test identifies hemoglobin nopathy like uh, hemoglobin nopathies like sickle cell anemia and other blood borne disease like thalassemia so this uh, test called the hemoglobin electrophoresis this test detects the client with sickle cell anemia and other condition like a thalassemia so the client also do the rubella titer which determine the client's immunity to to the rubella now the clients also do hepatitis b screening test which determine the client carrier of hepatitis b virus we do the group b test which is called a gbs now I want to remember this test as I'm saying it, like how I'm saying it, because this is how the anchors will bring them in the, uh, in the test. 
We monitor the GBS, which is the Group B streptococcus test. We obtain a vagina, a vagina or anal swab or culture at 35 to 37 weeks of gestation to assess, to assess for GBS infection. So the GBS is done between 35 to 37 weeks of gestation. Now, we do urinalysis with microscopic exam of the pH, urine specific gravity, the urine color, the urine sediment or sedimentational rate, the protein in the urine, glucose, albumin, red blood cells, white blood cells, the cast, acetones, and hemochorionic gonadotropin, this HCG, we do all these tests during this period. This test identifies pregnancy, identifies diabetes mellitus, identifies gestational hypertension, renal disease, and other infection in our in the pregnancy. One now, the client will go ahead and do glucose testing. They do the one hour glucose tolerance test. Now we we'll look at this test in our conditions in pregnancy. We we'll look at this glucose testing in the five conditions that occur in pregnancy. The five medical conditions that occur in pregnancy. We we'll look at it in detail, but just giving a gist of it before getting there. So the client will do the one hour blood glucose tolerance test. They will ingest or take in IV or, or IV glucose for at least one hour. Then we'll do the test. Now this test will identify what the client has hyperglycemia. Then we'll look at the client and do the test done between 24 to 28 weeks of pregnancy for all for all for all pregnant women. So this test is done between that period of time to detect uh for increased blood glucose which is hyperglycemia between 24 to 28 weeks of pregnancy for all pregnant women now this test the result of the hemo of, of the glucose should be above 140 milligrams per deciliter but we'll look at it in detail when we get to the condition under when we we'll talk about gestational diabetes mellitus now after that we do a three hours glucose tolerance test now, the three-hour glucose tolerance test, the client should be fasting. In this case, the client fasting overnight before the test is done. The client comes in and the client will ingest another amount. Um, the client will ingest 100 ml, or 100, uh, ml of glucose. The client will wait. After one hour, we'll do the test one hour. After two hours, we'll do the test and we'll do it after three hours. So, the test is done three times. Now, we use the client who have elevated one-hour Google test as a screening tool for diabetes mellitus. We do this diagnosis based on two elevated results. So if the client did the three tests and two of the test results were elevated, the client has diabetes mellitus in pregnancy. If one was elevated and two were not or two were normal, the client does not have diabetes mellitus. But we'll look at these conditions in detail when we get to diabetes mellitus in pregnancy now the client will do the pap smell test the client this use this test is used to screen tools to as a screen tool for cervical cancer happy simplest step 2 and the human papillo the papilloma virus the client will also do vagina or cervical culture which detects uh b hemolytic bacterial vaginosis the other ST are the gonorrhea and chlamydia infection. 
The client will do the PPD test for tuberculosis training. The client will do chest X-ray after tuna. Now, when it before tuna weeks of pregnancy, the client will do the PPD test with the intradermal testing. Now, when the client passes test or when the client has gone above tuna weeks of pregnancy, now the client cannot do the PPD test. The client will do the chest X-ray. So chest X-ray after tuna weeks of pregnancy with the I'm sorry. So the chest X-ray. So the client do PPD, chest X-ray after two weeks of pregnancy with PPD test. So this will identify the client exposure to the tuberculosis. Now the client go ahead and do the VDRL, which is for syphilis screening. The venereal disease research laboratory is VDRL for syphilis. The client will go ahead and do the HIV test, um, which is a mandatory test that is done for all pregnant women unless the client refuses to. to to testing so everyone will do this testing for the hiv we do the toxoplasmosis testing we do the rubella the rubella we do the cytomegalovirus testing the herpes virus testing we do the tosh t-o-r-s-t-h which include everything tosh is the t stands for toxoplasmosis the o stands for other infection the r stands for rubella rubella the c stands for cytomegalovirus and the H stands for happy virus. So we do the TOSH testing during this period. It's T-O-R-C-H. It's toxoplasmosis, other infection, rubella, cytomegalovirus, and the happy virus. Everything is referred to as the TOSH screening test. Then we do the maternal serum alpha fetoprotein. The MSAFP, maternal serum alpha fetoprotein. Now, this test is done between 15 to 22 weeks of pregnancy. It is used to rule out Down syndrome when it's low level. We can rule out Down syndrome. And it also rules out um, neurotube defect when it is high. So, if it is low, it is Down syndrome. If it is high in amount, it is what we call uh, it is neurotube defect. So, it must be normal. If it is high, it's neurotube defects if it is low the client might have down syndrome now the provider might decide to use a more reliable indicator and opt not to use the quiet screening instead of the msafp test between 16 to, 16 to 18 weeks of pregnancy this will include the client can do the afp the client can do the inhibin a or the client can do a combined analysis of the hemochoronic gonotropin and the extroy hormone testing to detect the MSAFP level in the client who is pregnant. So these are things we do for the client. And uh, they are we do them, take our time to go through them to know exactly what the client is going through. Because when you are pregnant, it is important to know these things, to know how they are done. It is important to look at them. It is important to have an idea on what we are doing. If we do not take the time to read these things for the anklers, we cannot understand how the anklers are going to be. We cannot understand how this test is going to work for us. So we want to put our time into it and learn them the proper way to get to the next level. Thank you very much. Again, you can hit us on 215-519-0348. This is the Anklet Success Tutorial. It was nice being with you. Have a good and pleasant time. Thank you very much.